The following message is from Temple Bible Church. For more information about the church and its ministries, visit www.templebiblechurch.org. All right, once again, we're so thankful you guys are here. Why don't you give it up for the band again? Man, that was amazing. What a, what a great start to our new series, uh, just a time of confession. Uh, as we start this new series called Deadly. I wanted to draw your attention to one event uh, that was highlighted in the announcements, but uh, just so you guys know, uh, Foster Love is hosting an event at at the Outback Youth Building, uh, an interest meeting. This interest meeting is uh, about those, for those who are interested in becoming a foster parent, but also those who are interested in getting involved. Some of you might not be able to, Uh, at this stage of life, be able to foster, but everyone can do something, which is their motto. So uh, we'd love for you to join us uh, Thursday, October 28th, uh, and you can check the hub, I believe, for signups, and Katie McRae, the director's right down front if you want to talk to her more about that. Uh, So we are beginning a new series, um, and it's called Deadly, and uh, it's going to be over the next seven weeks. We just finished up Mark, and now we're into this uh, series, and the title is a perfect title because it's dealing with sins that we face. And so when we think about this, I don't want you, you're going to hear some things that are going to offend you today, but I want you to hear them uh, in in an effort to push you to humility and confession, not like I used to do when I was in middle school. My dad would say some things that I needed to hear, and then I'd get angry and just storm off and then just do my own thing again. I want us to really take these words from God and receive them, and receive them as a child who needs correction. And when I say that, I say that about me first. I need correction, I need discipline in the same way we all need it and this series is gonna draw us in. Uh, There's a book that we're kind of looking at as we go, Uh, it's called Dangerous Virtues if you wanna get it and follow along as we go throughout our time in this series. It's by John Kosler and it's an excellent book and um, it really talks about things that in our society have become virtues uh, when in reality they should be called sin. And they become this thing that is almost like this is what I do, but in reality we need to call it for what it is. So when I was thinking about that, uh, just to kind of introduce the series first, is I was thinking about an old concept which is called mortification of the flesh. If you, anybody ever hear that term, mortification? So it's a big word you learn today, you can go act like you're smart later today. But mortification of the flesh, the idea is that when it comes to sin and your relationship with God, what people used to do, like old school, especially like monks and priests, they would actually hurt their bodies to discipline their bodies. And so when they would participate, especially in sin through action, they would do things that would hurt themselves or cause discomfort to themselves to the point that that would help them remember that they need to confess and that they need to get rid of this sin. Even Martin Luther uh, took part in this before he came to Christ. Nathan Businitz writes this about Martin Luther. He says he dedicated himself to the sacraments, fasting, and penance. He even performed acts of self-punishment like surpassing sleep, enduring cold winter nights without a blanket, and an attempt to atone for his sins, even whipping himself. So before Martin Luther even came to the Uh, realization through the power of the spirit of grace and faith, he thought he could abuse his body and and put it into subjection and atone for his, his sins in this way. Of course, this is extreme, and I'm not 
asking you guys to go hurt yourselves this week, okay, uh, to get this sin thing straight. But I do think maybe we could take a little bit of a challenge to say, you know what? Oftentimes, we're not very introspective about our sin. And even if we are, we actually think about it and say, yeah, I probably messed up here. I'm probably addicted here, but oh, well, I guess it's all right. I'll be okay. So when there's not a lot of change that comes in our introspection. You see, sin, uh, we often get to a point where we're just really just trying to manage it instead of killing it. We have our little pet sins that we do and we just make excuses and say, oh, that's just how I am. That's my personality, right? So our personalities are scapegoat. Actually, they know who I am. I usually talk really harsh and that's just who I am. No, you're a sinner and it needs to stop. So in reality, what we do is we make them our pets and we, we kind of dress them up in like these stupid clothes people put on our pets, Right? And we dress them up and we say, this is my sin. Hey, everybody. And so we're just kind of hanging out with these little pets. But the pets are destroying us. They're waiting to kill us. It's like uh, way back. If you want to look way back to the 80s and the movie Gremlins, you know. There were some nice sweet ones. But then there were some really bad ones. We're trying to literally kill these people. Go look it up. No, don't look it up. Anyway. So uh, there's a story about a South African farmer, and this was brought to my attention by our college pastor. It's kind of interesting. His name Marius Ells, age 41. He bought Humphrey the hippo at five months old. He said of Humphrey, he was like a son to me. Many photos show Marius riding on the back of Humphrey in the lake he built for him. Humphrey weighed eventually at 2,600 pounds. Marius went on to say, they think you can only have a relationship with dogs, cats, and domestic animals, but I have a relationship with the most dangerous animal in Africa. I won't go into details, but Humphrey ended the relationship. (laughs) Now, I was told it would be too insensitive to put his picture up there, but his picture went viral of him riding on this hippo in the lake he built for him. He tried to domesticate an animal that could not be controlled. And oftentimes in our own lives, we do this with our sins. We try to live with them. We try to put up with them. And the reality is the deadly beast wants to destroy you. And instead of taking it seriously and fighting and taking the word of God and the armor of God and putting it on each day, taking up our cross daily, instead we just let these sins hang around. And the reality is they're just waiting to pounce. The Bible describes it as a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Instead, we choose to domesticate our sin, make it tolerable, live in the house of our lives. John Owen puts it this way, be killing sin or it will be killing you. One of the main reasons we often fail to fight sin and to death is we made ourselves so stinking preoccupied. Our lives are so full of stuff and activities and things going on, we just can't do anything about it. It's just ridiculous what we do, right? We're obsessed with our hobbies, consumed with worship of our children, addicted to technology, preoccupied with a mess that we've created, saying yes to almost everything and no to nothing. We don't have any margin to just sit and dwell. And you think we could learn a lesson, right? We're acting like we're out of this pandemic and I just heard this morning that a friend of mine passed away from COVID. Like we're acting like we're done. 
But God used this pandemic, I thought, to help teach us a lesson. To say, slow down. Take some time to think. Let God work in your heart. Build in some time where you can just sit and feel the weight of your sin and let God work on you. But what have we done, right? What have we done? Now some of you are like, I didn't do it. Well, most of us have restocked our schedules even worse than they were before. Refilled schedules, repacked lives. Many of us are already in need again of this caution from Dallas Willard, the late Dallas Willard who said, hurry is the great enemy of spiritual life in our day. Hurry is the great enemy of spiritual life in our day. And don't get me wrong, I'm not advocating some legalistic approach where you give a list and you have a list on the board and you cross it, oh, I did good, I did good today, and things like that, that's ridiculous. But maybe some of us need to start there, I don't know, because we need some time to just sit and feel the weight of our sin and feel the weight of what it's doing to us and those around us. I'm just imploring us, imploring me, to consider the lion crouching at our door, waiting to devour us, longing to devour us, longing to destroy us. Ephesians 6, 10, 11, Paul puts it this way, finally be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. It's obvious spiritual warfare is all around us. So as we think about this series, Deadly, we go into our first week here discussing the sin of lust. We don't have time to look at the complete background, but we can look at the sin of lust and know that uh, Solomon says in Ecclesiastes 1.9 that there's nothing new under the sun. There's, this is coming around before, it's coming around again, the sin of lust. It goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden. And we're not talking about just sex when it comes to lust. Lust can be anything, it can be all these different things that exist that are temptations to us. So back in the garden in Genesis 3, 5, Satan's saying, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open, the fruit, right? You'll be like God and knowing good and evil. Well, what was Satan attacking? Satan was attacking their lust, right? Their desire, their desire for power, their desire to be the one on the throne, their desire to be eternal, to never die, well, when it comes to sex specifically, we can look back to the sexual revolution of the 60s and see that as a turning point of lust being manifested through sex and seeing that struggle and that battle. Professor Dale Kuhn at St. Anselm College says, there was no assumption until the 20th century that in order to lead the best, deepest, most fulfilling relational life that you needed to be in a sexual relationship. It's kind of interesting. This guy looks into history and sees there's no correlation until this moment in time where you were defined by who you were having sex with or how much sex you were having. And that was the definition. And so lust became defined by sex. John Kostler states, those who participated in the sexual revolution went looking for love and found death instead. So I guess we need to ask ourselves the, pro the, the question, well, is sex the problem then, right? Is sex the problem? No, it's just, a, it's just the evidence of the problem, right? It's something deeper. The problem is our desires, unrealistic expectations that result from those desires. 
These desires, they appear appear in a myriad of ways. We have desires for transcendence, control, power, attention, or maybe even anonymity, self-medication, all these different desires we have to get noticed. So let's look at some of these major issues, which is desires in our lives. Paul Tripp, great author, I always snatch up anything he writes. He says, you and I are creatures of desire. We do not live by biological animal-like instinct. God designed us with a capacity to desire. It is good and right to desire, to seek, and to want. There will be something wrong with you if you did not. But you must be aware of your desires and how they shape your life. There is nothing you ever choose, do, or say that is not the product of desire. James says in chapter 4, verse 1 through 3, he says, What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires, the battle within you? You desire but do not have, so you kill. You covet but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask. When you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. So where do these desires start? What does he say here? It's the battle within us. One of the ladies from our small group last Sunday, we were having this discussion and she said, she points out really clearly and it made me think really hard about my sin in my own life is that it often starts in my mind. And what we discount is the mind and what it can do for us or, or, and even to hurt us sometimes. And what we do is, well, if it stays here, then it's okay, right? If it stays here and I don't act on it, then it's not really sin, but we're dead wrong. If we entertain lust and even have the movie playing in our head, guess what? It's still sin. It's still wrong. But yet we entertain it and these battle, the battle starts within us and then we spend it on our pleasures. Eventually, it most likely will end in action. But even if it doesn't, it's still sin. Tripp also states, if you look to something that God created to give you what isn't intended to give, either you get discouraged quickly and wisely abandon those hopes, or you go back again and again and in so doing begin to travel down the dangerous road toward addiction. You see, sexual desire is biological and physical, or psychological. You know, it's, it's psychological where it, it's this desire that God gives us. We are born with it. But just because something is ordinary and born into us doesn't mean it doesn't have dangers, right? We have these desires, we're given these desires, but within those desires are dangers. And it's dangerous, sex, when it, when it manifests itself through lust and manifested in sex, is dangerous because it doesn't just affect the person. It affects the people around them as well. And so we can see there's this struggle. Kostler points out sexual desire is a sacred pleasure, one that can be enjoyed safely only within the clear boundaries that God has established for it. But who wants boundaries, right? It's interesting though, you know, like we get into like coaching or teaching or as a parent or whatever it is that you're into or have gotten into and we set up all these kinds of boundaries, right? Maybe teaching your kid how to drive a car, I don't know, whatever it is and you got all these boundaries and we live with boundaries but when it comes to sex and when it comes to lust, we want to just ditch them all. And God's designed his word, he's written his word specifically so that we can know him, but also so we can flourish in our lives and not destroy other people through our sexual desires. But yet we seem to want to ditch the boundaries when it comes to something that deals with us. 
We need to embrace these boundaries. Matthew talks about this. Jesus actually says on the subject of divorce, he says, he answered, have you not read that he who created them, in Matthew 19, four to six, have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female, said therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother, hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh? So they're no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. These two coming together, a husband and a wife, The sexual encounter actually makes them one. And so here, these boundaries exist within marriage. According to Matthew 5, 28, those whose sexual desires fall outside of the boundaries that God's created, they've already committed adultery in their hearts. Before they even act on them, he says. They've already committed adultery when living outside the boundaries that God's created. See, indulging in lust leads us to love things and use people. When we indulge in our own lusts, we love things and man. We can make a long list of that, right? But then we end up using people for our benefit. It's a story close to my heart of a friend I had at a young age, back even before I was married and into marriage, This man was a very well-respected young man on fire for Jesus, sold out for him and the gospel, leading mission trips, even that I brought my own youth groups on. But initially, we saw in him issues where the little things in his life he couldn't say no to. And all of us might have that friend, or maybe you're that friend, where it's like uh, the little things like, oh, who's gonna get the last donut, right? I will, you know, and it was like him every time, right? Oh, don't be offended. I mean, I like donuts too, but the reality is everything was about these little things that he didn't control, the things that he, his time management to the, to the detriment of his family, just little mistakes or little things, little choices along the way. And I was too immature, I think, at the time to really think about it, to observe that these little things, these little desires that he would give into over and over again led him into giving into bigger desires. And these things grow, just like we looked in that passage, right? They start as an infant, and then full-grown bring death and destruction. So all these patterns led him down a a slippery slope and all came to the breaking point. He's on the edge of getting his dream job as an evangelism pastor in New York City. The one that he had prayed about for years, that he and his wife were so excited about. And instead, he cheated on his wife and left her for another woman. We're on the doorstep the most amazing ministry that they, all, they both had prayed for for years. Did it start by him cheating on her? It started in the little things, the little desires, and giving in day after day after day to the little things in life. You know, making excuses for things, making excuses here, here, these little things to the point that it started to grow and it started to be fed and full grown literally led to spiritual death and wrecked his family. We have to be careful, even with the little desires. James 1, 14 and 15 explains that it always begins with desire. Each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it's conceived, gives birth to sin. Here we go again. And sin, when it's fully grown, brings forth death. 
We have to take this seriously. And Satan loves that you're preoccupied with other stuff, other thoughts, other things to occupy your time. And here you are on the road to death. Some might say, well, I'm a, a child of God. I've trusted Christ. So did he. I believe he trusted Christ. But it didn't mean he didn't wreck his family. It didn't mean that it's taken him years to even acknowledge that and, and actually make some things right 20 years later. So you're not immune to this just because you're a follower of Jesus. It's important to note it's not a matter if our desires and lusts will fall out of God's boundaries, but it's a matter of when. But here you go. It's not a, but here, it's not a sign of defeat when this happens, though, initially. If your desires start to fall out, you know it's a sign of that maybe the Holy Spirit is trying to get your attention. And in some kind of weird way, like my imagination starts running with stuff like this when I think of spiritual warfare and if I was an artist, I'd draw it, but I'm not and it would look horrible, so I just have to say it. But the idea is like, I picture these demons like coming out of hell, trying to pull on me and drag on me and bring me down, just like, just like fire all around them and blood all around me, all this like mess in my mind and these demons just trying to drag me down and just pull me in and that's the spiritual warfare going on. But I don't see that, right? I don't see that every day. I saw it because I looked for this sermon, but I don't see it like that. But sometimes when we see it, we can't live our lives in defeat. We see it as a challenge to say, oh, this is knocking at my door. What do I do? And recognize it for what it is. It's interesting uh, that this doesn't just deal with sex. We have to make sure we understand that. Author Dorothy Sayers says, a man may be greedy, selfish, spiteful, cruel, jealous, and unjust, violent and brutal, grasping, unscrupulous, a liar, stubborn and arrogant, stupid, morose, and dead to every noble instinct, and still we're ready to save him that he is not an immoral man. So it doesn't just deal with sex. It's like we look at these guys and especially in the media, like, I mean, just recently a coach it came out and he did something inappropriate, but he's a good guy. No, he's not. He's an evil sinner. Well, he doesn't do this, 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 and this. Who cares? He did this. And guess what? We're all immoral. We're all sinners. And we gotta stop justifying these things and just say, yes, I'm a broken person. First John 2, 16 makes it very clear that everything in the world is a potential target, not just sex. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. So we all deal with this. And I think sometimes what happens with us, not just from being preoccupied, but we're just consumed with the things that are inappropriate in our eyes. Whether it's commercials, it's on our phones, Instagram, Twitter, you name it. It's all in our face all the time. TikTok, I mean, you, you kidding me? It's just there bombarding us. And over-familiarity with something leads us just to be numb. We're numb. I remember back in the day, I'm going to date myself, right? Uh, oh, man. I remember back in the day, my dad, 
Uh, I'm the youngest of four, and so guess who got the job to sit next to the TV and actually change the channel when commercials came on? Like, some of these guys are like, what, there were days without remotes? Yes, there were. And I had to sit there, and we're watching a football game, you know, because the football game's on. Guess what kind of commercials come on, right? So he didn't want my eyes seeing these things. And I'd be so angry. Timmy, go over there and change that channel. And I'd just sit next to the stinking TV. But even as a dad now, I thought that was ridiculous. But as a dad now, I can appreciate it. Guess what I end up doing often? Ooh, well, I got a remote now, so I'm cool and everything. But I got to change that. But we allow ourselves to be saturated and become familiar with these images that flash in our face. And we just live with it. And we're living with an enemy. And we got to take the battle seriously. So when we're confronted with sin, oftentimes we attack it, but we attack it in weird ways. We try to put a Band-Aid on the top of a horrible, gruesome injury, right? I told this story before, so I'm not going to tell it again, but my dad, I was injured, cut my knee, blown open this deep, threw some Band-Aids on top. Well, that's not very nice. That's what happened. Uh, So we try to do these temporary fixes with our sin and hope they'll be okay. It kind of reminds me of this project I pulled off at my house. I'm not a real good handyman, so I try to keep things to the outside so I don't screw up the inside of the house. But uh, I wanted some place to put wood uh, to keep it uh, dry uh, in the weather. And as you can see, I don't have much, so if you've got a hookup, uh, I need some wood. Uh, but the idea is, uh, all right, I'm going to build this little overhang, you know, and protection for the wood. But I, I, I'm also like a little pack rat when it comes to free stuff. And as you can see, that wall on there, those are all fence planks. And they're just repurposed fence planks. And so I, I get this stuff and I, oh, here's a piece and I'll use it. Well, I don't know if you ever worked with wood this way, but it's like sometimes in, in the process, you get something that's a little warped, right? And you want uh, to get to the point where it's like, all right, I think I can make this work. And so I'm like, ah, this looks perfect. I think when I get my drill in my hand and I get the screws and then we'll straighten out and get it like flat against the wall. The problem is it was a pressure treated piece of wood uh, that was old and not really pliable. And so I get up there. I even did the support. There's three support beams there, a little piece of wood coming out. I did that. Before I put the roof on, I, I stand back and look at it. And that piece was here, and the other one was here. I did not need a level to tell me I screwed up, right? But I had this thing, and I thought, oh, well, it'll straighten out when I, I, I get into the stud, and it'll be fine. But what I, I, I started to realize after that, it was kind of a timely project, which is like a week ago as I'm working on the sermon, is like, well, isn't that what we do with our lives? We see we're messed up. We see we're a little off. But we just try to do these little fixes. Oh, well, I'll straighten myself. I'll be fine. I'll, I'll get it straight. I'll be fixed. I can do this or that or spend you know, less time with this. And I'll just do these little fixes when in reality, I, I need heart surgery. I need something new. I need to be made new and recognize myself as being made new in the image of God. My old flesh is dead. New has come. And I need to operate and live in the new versus living in the old, walking around like a zombie. 
So we don't have some four-step plan, you know, like, I got some, I got four points coming in a minute, but it's not gonna just solve all your problems when it comes to lust. I say that, and I'm gonna give you four things here in a second. Uh, but the idea is it's not just some magic fix. I can give you suggestions, I can give you scripture, but it's not a magic fix. It's a time alone with God, introspection, letting him work on our hearts. First Corinthians chapter six. Paul Tripp points out there's four statements of identity in this passage that help us within this area of lust. First Corinthians six, verse 12. All things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be dominated by anything. Food is meant for the stomach, the stomach for food. God will destroy both one and the other. The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. And God raised the Lord and will also raise us up by his power. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I say that? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Never. Or do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For as it is written, the two will become one flesh. For he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. Flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You're not your own. For you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. You were bought with a price. What an amazing thought. You didn't earn it. You didn't do anything to get it, but you were bought with a price. And so he, Paul Tripp gives these encouragements to recognize, acknowledge. Number one, I'm a servant of Christ. Verse 12, he talks about not being mastered by anything except for God himself. Number two, I'm an eternal being. Verse 14, he says, by his power, God raised the Lord from the dead. He will raise us also. You're an eternal being. This life is temporary. See, the identity of believers reminds us that this life is not all there is. I should hear everybody amening right now. This life is not all there is. This life is screwed up. We live in a world that's messed up. But that's not all we have if we're believers. We have something to look forward to in eternity. Number three, I'm one with Christ. You to know that your bodies are members of Christ himself. You're united with him in spirit. You're one with him. To act in any other way is to deny the gospel itself. Number four, I am the property of Christ. Look at verse 19 and 20. You are not your own. You were bought with a price. Honor God with your body. A lot of times ownership is a negative thing when it comes to people, right? In history, it's always been negative. But the reality is to be owned by the Father, the creator of the universe, is a blessing. I'm telling you right now, I've lived long enough to realize I don't want to be owned by me. I will mess things up. Maybe you're better than me, but I doubt it. Or maybe you are. Uh, either way, the reality is we're all messed up when it comes to following our own desires, right? It's a great thing to be owned by Jesus Christ. Romans 6, 1 to 4, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? 
Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized in Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried therefore with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. I've heard that statement many times after a baptism, every time my dad did a baptism growing up. And there you go, walk in newness of life. And I never really understood what in the world he was saying. It sounded weird. But we have a new life when we trust Christ. We have a new identity when we trust Christ. We have a new father when we trust Christ. We're under new ownership when we trust Christ. So what is this way of escape from the deadly sin of lust? We recognize our identity as something different. It's also a change of desire. It's a different kind of love, a sacrificial love that we can look at in 1 Corinthians 13. And some of these statements can summarize that. Lust is prideful, but love is humble. Lust is easily frustrated, but love is patient. Lust is irritated, love is understanding. Lust takes, but love gives. And then lust once more, but love is satisfied in Christ. We all have work to do. But the work that we have to do, sometimes the word work is a horrible word, right? We want to just relax. We want to just exist. We want to veg out, watch Netflix, I don't know, whatever. But if we just do that and live our lives and skate on through our lives, the enemy will devour us. I'm trying to warn you, to implore you. You've seen it all around you, yet we often act like it didn't happen and it won't happen to us. I'm begging you today to take some time even now where we are and do work with God to confess the sin of lust that has taken hold of your heart or maybe other sin that you've been convicted of today. Maybe some of you in here don't know Jesus and you haven't had that exchange from something crooked to something straight. Maybe today you will recognize him as Lord and King of your life and trust in him as your savior. So I'm gonna ask is for you to stand and we're gonna sing But as we sing, maybe many of you can take time to confess, to acknowledge your sin before a holy and just God and thank him for the grace and mercy. So I ask you not to check out right now. Don't be someone who just starts thinking like I would do right now as my next meal, right? But instead, let God keep working through this song to lead you to confession and repentance. And if you want to come forward for prayer, we'd love to pray with you down here in the front. So please take this time to focus and let God continue his work on you.